from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello. It's great to have you here for another episode of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm Sven Erlinson, your host, and I am joined in studio by my uh, silent yet deadly partner, KC. And right to my left is my production genius, Rob. Rob, how are you today? Hardly feeling like a genius, but thank you for the compliment, my perspicacious friend. (laughs) Wow, throwing that out there, huh? All right. Trying to find something for you to look up. (laughs) Well, I don't have my phone in front of me, so I'm just going to assume it fit right in there. I I had to look it up, but go ahead. (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) that's great. It's always great being with this guy. He's uh, always keeping me on my toes. I want to welcome everyone joining us from around the world, from as near as Chicago and Houston and our friends, so many up in Canada who follow the show down in South Africa, Australia. It's great to have you here. And especially the UK, always fun to have our Brit friends and the Irish and the Scots and so forth. So to all of you joining us from wherever you are and in whatever capacity you're listening to us, whether you're working out or cooking or walking or whatever it is you might be doing um, It's great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a great episode ahead tonight and a special guest, Samantha. Rob, tell us about Samantha, please. I'm happy to, Sven. Uh, She wrote to us and said, I'm struggling with pretty much everything right now, but most prominent, I think, is simply the will to exist. I'm 39 years old and have lived with depression, anxiety, and ADHD most of my life. I grew up in a home with alcoholic parents and a severely unstable brother. Mental, physical, and sexual abuse were common occurrences. I became a single mother at age 19, then spent the next 12-ish years working my arse off until I was able to buy a house all on my own, just to lose it all as the result of an abusive relationship, then sinking into the darkest depression of my life. My heart is broken, I'm exhausted, and it feels pointless to start over. How does one start over when the risk of losing it all again is so great? Samantha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, pleasure is completely ours. Where are you calling in from today, Samantha? I'm in Michigan. In Michigan. Lovely. And you got to be having a ton of snow up there right now, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes. The winter weather has not disappointed us. Well, that's good. That's what winter's supposed to be, right? I love it. I love it. Good for you. Good for you. As long you. as I don't have to drive in it. <laughs> Amen to that. So, Samantha, I want to dive right in. Um, this is quite a paragraph that you sent us and you have had quite a life. I want to just get right at it. You, in your opening sentence, you said, I'm struggling with pretty much everything right now, but most prominent I think is simply the will to exist. I'm going to ask you point blank, Samantha, if you were to be totally honest, have there been thoughts of suicide? Currently, no, but I have before. Yes. And, um, how recent is, uh, have the, latest thoughts been and tell me about them and how long and so forth it's probably been about a year i think give or take i don't even know if it was necessarily like suicidal thoughts but more so just wanting to die mm. like well i take that back there was one time a couple of years ago where i was just i had a moment where i was full-blown i was ready to just i was done um thankfully i was logical enough to seek help mm-hmm. um but with the other than that one time, it's more so just you just you don't want to live anymore. And so, like, I'm driving across the railroad tracks, and it's like, will a train come by and please just like just take me out right mm. now and just end mm. it? Wow, um, life feels that heavy. Yeah. So that's the most recent, uh, basically a year ago, and then a couple years ago in particular. Um, what was the earliest in your entire life that you? even if uh, for a brief spell, entertained thoughts of taking your life? Because, I mean, you have had it hard from the beginning is really the impression I'm getting here. And what is the earliest that you can recall thinking about it and wondering if that would be better? Probably preteen age. Like what? Like 
12, maybe 12, maybe 13. Mm. And back then, if you were to think all the way back, and you know that's that's a long ways back, so if, if you don't remember, that's okay. Uh, but if you were to think back, uh, for a child to be at that state, um, there's clearly a lot going on. And you say preteen, 12, maybe 13. What was going on? What had built up? Talk to me about the history of what was going on back then. I always felt very unwanted in, in my household. Um, that's that's the start. That's like the smallest piece of the puzzle. Um, I when I so after my brother was born, my mom didn't want to have any more kids. My dad did, but he wanted a boy. And when I was born, I wasn't a boy, and that caused just a whole lot of stress for them because they really wanted a second son. Um, and like all growing up, even, even to this day, it's still the family joke about how I was supposed to be a boy, but I wasn't. And they, they'll tell the story and, and it, it's like, that, that's not really funny guys. It's not funny. Um, but so dealing with that as a child, and there was always little things that made me feel like, like I wasn't welcome or like I wasn't a part of the family. Like it almost sounds petty, but to a little kid, it was not. Um, my parents and my brother all had matching Christmas stockings. I didn't. Wow. I didn't have one. Um, and they would say, well, we didn't get you one because we couldn't afford it. Well, why do you, why do you guys have them? Um, and it would be things like, it, things like that where like my brother would get something and I wouldn't. Or, uh, you know, I mean, even all the way up through like adulthood, they would cater to him in every facet possible. Um, they put him through college. They would buy him vehicles. They would house him repeatedly. Whereas me, like they refused to even pay for me to get, take my driver's training test when I was a teenager. Like, oh, we can't afford it. We're not, we can't pay for it. Like, why, why can't, why can't you? Wow. <laughs> um, so there was, there was always that looming over my head, but then there was the abuse. Um, there was definitely, there was definitely physical abuse with my parents. Both my parents were, um, were, were heavy drinkers at the time. And so getting in trouble would involve, you know, getting beat with a belt, um, with whatever object was handy. Um, if my brother and I were arguing over something, my mom would literally grab us both by our heads and knock our heads together as hard as she possibly could to get us to stop arguing. I remember one time my dad had gotten mad because somebody had gotten into his stash of Halloween candy that he had hidden in his bedroom. And he blamed it on me because I was the fat kid. And my brother was not the fat kid. Wow. Um, and I said, I didn't do it. And I, I, I didn't, you know, and I kept, he kept telling me like, I, I, he kept trying to tell me that I needed to admit to it, but it's like, I didn't do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and say I did it when I didn't. And because I was, you know, refusing to tell him that I took the candy. He beat me literally around the house. Like I would run from him and he would keep going like uh, literally around the house because our house was kind of like circle on the inside. Um, and I mean, it was so bad. I, I couldn't go to school for, I think it was like a week. Wow. They knew because I just had the marks and, you know, there was just so much done that like they, they couldn't send me to school. Beat you around the house with, his hands with his fists with anything what was he beating you um, with help me understand belt i think belt and hands if i remember correctly mm. um wow. most mostly the belt usually he used a belt and it was like one of those big thick leather leather belts sure. not just you know it's like one of those nice hearty ones wow <laughs> um i think by by like mid teens for the most part that stopped um, cause you know, once we got older, it got less effective. Um, that's when kind of like emotional things with my mom started to kick in. Um, cause I, I had thanks to things with my brother that I had to deal with. I had really gotten the, the depression and the anxiety had really started to kick in. And one day she came home and her, her answer to helping me was she handed me this book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. I remember and she it. she just handed it to me and said, you should read this, and then left the room. 
And I just like stood there looking at the book, like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? What, what is this? Like, it almost, it just kind of was like another re- reassurance there. Like you just reinforce that I don't matter because you can't even take the time to sit here and talk to me about what's going on. You hand me a book, a book is the answer. And right. th- absolutely. Um, let me ask you, let me ask you. So the emotional abuse by mom, you said started really mid teens. Okay. What sort of uh, abuse, there was the physical abuse, significant. Wow. I mean, holy cow. Was there emotional abuse by mom or dad prior to that? Prior to, you said, mid-teens when mom started in. Was there verbal abuse? Was there emotional abuse? Oh, yeah. There there was. There was. It just wasn't wasn't, the, it wasn't like the, the most prominent Um or, I mean, it could have been, and maybe I just don't remember it being that way. It's really hard to decipher, like, when when certain things happened. I can certainly understand that. Let me ask you. You had said, you'd basically drawn, uh, pulled two things together. One, in my mid-teens, the physical abuse really stopped because it didn't really work anymore along those lines. And then you said, and that's when the emotional mm-hmm. abuse started. Either the emotional abuse started gee, we can't control her anymore with the physical abuse. Um, So they amped up the emotional abuse or the emotional or potentially the emotional abuse was always there, but was overshadowed perhaps by the physical abuse. You had said it became more prominent sort of at 12 or 13, you know, uh, and you'd said, which implies sort of it was always there. Do you think it's because it was always there, but it was just so overshadowed by the living in physical fear and so forth? Or do you think it it got amped up when you were 12 or 13 or both? Talk to me. I think more so just that it was overshadowed. Mm. I think um, because the, the physical, yeah, the physical was just so prominent and just so, you know, in my face. And I mean, so physical yeah. um, that the words being, the words that would be, be said just kind of in one ear out the other at that point. And so let me ask you, that actually, uh, that was a question I wanted to ask you. Um, What were the words that were said? They got overshadowed by the physical abuse. Completely understandable. That makes total sense. Um, And the the sheer fear and terror in, you know, in the presence of all that physical abuse and the always ongoing potential for physical abuse at any time, I have to believe. Let me ask you... um, what were the words prior to the emotional abuse intensifying at 12 or 13 or becoming much more prominent, to use your words, what were the words that you recall from the, your childhood when your dad is chasing you around the house and beating you around the house so badly that you had to stay out of school for a week or when your mom is knocking your heads together or you're being whipped with a belt? When all of these things are happening, what words, what messages do you recall getting about yourself or to you? Being stupid, being the fat kid, that was always an issue. What's the meanest thing you recall either of your parents ever saying to you? Probably the the not being wanted thing. Probably that. And that was actually explicitly stated or, I mean, it was certainly implied clearly. Uh, Was it explicitly stated as well? There were times, yes. Mm -hmm. Like there was times that, that... Um, you know, like when my dad would get really angry, the, you should have been a boy. I wish you would have been a boy type things like, you know, saying things like that. You had mentioned that when you and your brother were arguing or acting up, she would knock your heads together as as strongly as she could. Was your brother abused at the same level that you were? Not quite. Um, he, mine was more consistent. His was more more violent when it happened. Mm. So like for me, I would have like regular abuse for him when he did, when he did get in trouble for something, it was, it was, it was magnified. It was, it was way worse. Like there's um the, the kitchen, the kitchen cupboards in my parents' house has, have cast iron handles. And so like um one of them's like a, a curved, you know, it's a curved pole handle. And one of those cast iron handles is actually dented from where my brother's head hit it one time. Wow. Um, because my dad just like, like 
hit him and threw him back so hard that when he fell and he hit that cast iron handle, it, I mean, he busted his head open too, of course, but um, it actually dented that handle. Wow. 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 And then you mentioned also to the degree you feel comfortable talking about it. And if you don't, you don't have to. You also mentioned there was sexual abuse. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. That was my brother. It's It started with things like I would walk into the living room and he'd be in there masturbating. And he would tell me I needed to stay and watch. <laughs> Sounds so ridiculous. But so like, um, you know, old school TVs. And they had, you know, the dial and you could dial past like whatever channel it was and you could get to like the squiggly Cinemax channel. Right. And it would it would be squiggly, but it would it would still have all the sounds coming through and stuff. And he would. He would like try to like imitate what he was hearing on the show with me. Um, like physically. And it, it was just it was terrible. Um it was just, just a horrible, it was horrible. I hated it. And he was, he was more physically abusive than my parents. Like with him, it was almost on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'd say probably the first time he tried to actually like tell me he wasn't even two years old yet. Wait, he wasn't even two years old yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's a year older than me. Okay. So you would have been one, he's two. And, um, Mm -hmm. and you remember that. I don't remember it. My parents tell the story like it's funny. Um, they basically what happened is um, my brother had taken cassette tape. He had pulled cassette tape out of a cassette. I don't remember if it was like a video cassette or a music cassette or like an eight track. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember it being cassette tape. Um, he would pulled all the cassette tape out of the cassette and then wrapped it around my neck and oh my God. strangled me with it. And, and what stopped it? Uh, my mom came in the room and saw what he was doing and, and stopped him. Wow. And he, she thought he was just playing. He was, he was just playing. Wow. Okay, Samantha, I want to come right back, in the, but we're going to have much, much more right after this short break. My best friend made me listen to some podcast, said it had blown her away. So we listened to a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show together. All I can say is, wow. First podcast I had ever listened to. Now it's my addiction. If you haven't done it yet, you need to subscribe to the Badass Counseling Show. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back with Samantha, and we are deep into an extraordinarily powerful childhood. Samantha, uh, you're doing great, and I'm very grateful for you uh, opening up. And please know if at any point you want to stop or redirect, we have other things we can talk about. Uh, So please know there's no pressure in any direction, okay? Okay. All right. Um, and I do want to say that uh, your courage in talking about this is just incredible. Okay. So you got these messages and you were, um, that you're stupid, that you're a fat kid, that you're not wanted. Um, and I wish you would have been a boy and so forth that you got from uh, your parents in the last one, uh, specifically from father. And then you were starting to tell us that your uh, brother was more physically abusive more physically abusive than even your parents, even though your father was so abusive with your brother that they dented a cast iron handle in your kitchen. Wow, okay. Um, and then you said, you used the phrase, I re- the first time my brother tried to kill me was when I was one, and you, it's become a family joke for everyone, clearly, except you. And But that implies there was a second time. There were other times when he tried to kill you. Um, is that so, or were you just sort of using a figure of speech? No, there were, um, it, it was definitely so, um, usually with a pillow, like trying to suffocate me with a pillow. Um, he usually, it would be after school. Um, it was almost, it was almost like every other day. 
um, he would just get angry and he would take it, he would take it out on me and he would hit me and he would kick me and he would punch me and he'd strangle me. Sometimes he would try suffocating me with a pillow. Um, my only, my only salvation would be when the garage door would open, we would hear the garage door open and my parents were coming home, you know, that meant my parents were there and he would stop. Um, I would, I would of course try to fight back, but he was stronger than me. He was bigger than me. Um, the only, the only, uh, door in the entire house that locked was the bathroom door. And sometimes I would be able to actually get into the bathroom and be able to lock the door. Um, and he would, as, as of now, I mean, the, the bathroom door is still broken. Um, he would, he would sit there and, and just try to kick the door in to, to get at me. And one time he did finally actually get the door kicked in. Um, and he came in and he started, um, hitting me with a hairbrush to the point where it left, um, like the, the pin marks from the bristles on the brush. Cause it was like one of the one with the uh, plastic bristles, like it left little holes all up and down my arm because I, I used my arm to shield my face. Um, that was the one time that one of my parents actually intervened. Um, and my dad came in and actually like grabbed him up off of me and, um, you know, made him stop, but, um, it was, yeah, sometimes I would be able to get out of the house and I would run across the street and sit on the lawn of the people across the street, like just cause nobody, everybody in the neighborhood worked. So there would never be anybody home. None of the adults, I would just go and sit, sit in their yard until my, until I would see my parents coming down the road. And once I seen them, I would go back to the house because we weren't allowed to be outside the house when they weren't home. I wouldn't want to get, I wouldn't want to get busted because then I'd be even in even more trouble. Right. It was a lot. It was, it was a lot. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. Um, it's, it's horrifying. If, if I'm hearing you correctly, then you had to have lived in terror of going home every day. Would that be accurate yes. or inaccurate? Accurate. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of times I tried to, I would not go home after school. Um, and then my parents would of course get very upset with me. Um, but I would just tell him, you know, like, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I don't want to go home. He's mean to me, you know, and I would try to tell them what was going on um, to a degree. But it was it was almost like I couldn't tell them everything, because if I did and he found out that I told them, then it would be worse for me. Um, you know, because, of course, there was always if you tell mom and dad, I'm going to kill you type stuff. And so even like with this, with the sexual abuse, especially the one time where it went way beyond what it should have. Um, like I was just too afraid to say anything to anybody because the consequences of telling somebody was seemed far worse than just staying silent. So you were his prisoner. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it like that, but yeah, that's precise. You were trapped. You literally couldn't even go outside the house. And I have to believe in, you know, you could go, you said you would go and sit on a neighbor's lawn, but if it's winter, I don't know if you grew up in Michigan, you mentioned you're in Michigan now. Mm -hmm. Yes. You did. Okay. Well, I, I know the Northern States well enough, having grown up in Minnesota, that there's no damn way you can go sit in somebody's yard in November, December, January, February, even March. So for Mm -hmm. five, six months, you had no choice. I mean, you really didn't have a choice at any point because you had to stay inside by uh, by parental mandate. This is unbelievable. I mean, totally believable. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but wow. Um, I want to ask, what sort of messages would he state, imply? What words do you remember from him as this was going on or at other times when it wasn't going on? What were the messages you got from your brother? I mean, aside from the fat kid thing, I was always the fat kid in the family. And he, he picked on me about that the most. Um, Cause he was the skinny kid. He was the, and he'd love to make fun of me for that one. But um, I feel like worthless was, is it, that's like the feeling that I have the most from what he, he would say, because he was, he was the, the, uh, I guess you'd call it like the shining star. Um, so he's, he's very intelligent. He's extremely intelligent. He passed his SATs in the seventh grade, um, was accepted to Northwestern University at the time. Like, so, I mean, he was, 
he was the shining star and he was the, I guess, I, I don't know. I don't know how else you describe that, but, um, and he always tried to, he always acted like he was better than me. Well, we're going to move forward with this. We're going to continue forward. But if you think of any of those words or messages, you jump right in and say it, all right? If it comes back to you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Um, so, but if it comes to you, uh, please feel free to jump in with that. Um, so then you were your brother's prisoner, but even when your parents were there and crazy as it sounds that you, you felt a little safer, they were abusers too, physically and emotionally. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. And let me ask you, did you, and you had said earlier that your first memories of uh, or thought of being of suicide, of ending it, gee, I just want it to, to, to all stop, were right around age 12 or 13. That was sort of where we, we began uh, this conversation. Were the feelings that you were feeling at that age, at 10, at 8, at 6, but particularly then at 12, let's say, were there feelings of self-hatred? Had you been so conditioned that they basically treated you with hatred and loathing and not wanted, did you, had your own brain turned on yourself at that point? Had you been taught to hate yourself? Did you hate yourself or what was going on inside of you? I, I did. I've never thought about it like that, but I did. I did hate myself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, you said, wow, I did almost. And you said, I never thought about that. Why do you think it is that you've never thought about that? Just out of curiosity. Um, a big part of it is I try not to think about my childhood too much. Um, Understandably. I try to just pretend like it didn't exist. <laughs> um, but as I've gotten older, I've realized like I can't ignore it because there's there's damage there that um, I think it's affected my life as an adult. And so let me ask you, you said, as I've sort of gotten older, you know, I, I realize, you know, there's a lot of damage there. And you said, I realize, you know, that's, it's affecting me as an adult and sort of implying, gosh, maybe I should look at this very thing that I've been avoiding my entire life. Um, when really has that started and, and what has gone along with that? Have you uh, decided to seek counseling? And if so, have you gone into any of the childhood stuff? Or when you say, you know, I've sort of realized I, I need to look at it. What sort of, what do you mean? And what have you done? Um, I did, I did start counseling, uh, started a couple of years ago, uh, after I had my incident where I was like, I, I actually was suicidal. Um, unfortunately my counselor had to leave and, um, I have not been able to find another one since then. She left. It was like right, right before COVID. Oh. Like once everything started opening back up, I've tried finding a new office to go to a new therapist to see, but there's the availability is just so limited in my area and being able to travel. I mean, if I wanted to travel two hours, you know, once a week, <laughs> then I could find somebody, but it, it, that's just not cost effective at this time for me. Sure. I understand. But we didn't really delve too much into childhood. A lot of, a lot more was it, uh, or a lot more of what we had talked about was um, we touched a little bit on the abusive relationship that I'd had. Um, my grandfather's death, which was a traumatic thing for me. Um, we had just started to talk about my parents and childhood when she had to, when she had to leave, we had just, just touched the, the tip of the iceberg um, sure. when she ended up leaving. And and so you had said, you know, gosh, I, I did hate myself. Let me ask you, um, do you hate yourself today? If you're to be totally honest. I don't hate myself, but I'm not happy with myself. And say more. I know I can be better. I know I can be a better version of myself because I have been a better version of myself, but I've lost that somewhere along the way and I don't know how to find it again. And by better version of yourself, what does that mean? Because I'll be very, very honest with you. When you write, I became a single mother at 19, spent the next 12-ish years working my arse off until I was able to buy a house all on my own. 
just lose it all as a result of an abusive relationship, then you sink into a deep depression. You were a single mom, you worked 12 years, you bought a house. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I know that I speak for every single person listening to this saying, holy shit, she came out of that childhood and those messages that got pressed into her and the, and the self-hatred, the self-loathing, everything that you had been, that had been done to you and you raised the child, worked your ass off and even got, bought a house. How much better of a version can there be? That's amazing. That's amazing. That was that was that was the version of me that I that I, I that was better than I am now. Um, because I I don't have I don't have any of that anymore. I mean, I bought that house making thirteen dollars an hour. I was unbelievable. I was I was I, I was a hardcore budgeter. <laughs> Holy cow! And a hardcore worker. Wow. Um. And so let me ask you. You said I don't hate myself, but I basically I don't feel like that I'm the best version of myself. Let me ask you. If you're to be totally honest and really dig deep here, you say, I don't hate myself. Do you love you? If you're to be totally honest. I don't think so. And is that 100% I don't love me? Or is it I 95, I 90% don't love me? Or is it, you know, 85 and I round it up? What percent don't you love you? And what percent do you then love you? say probably like 60%. 60%. You do love or don't love? Do love. Well, that's no, and yet, interestingly, that's nowhere near zero. So that's, that's great. Um, but isn't it interesting that you had answered when I said, do you love you? You said no. And yet now you say, I do love 60% of me. Help me understand those two uh, pieces. The, the parts that I love about me, I think, is, is where that 60% is. Um, pieces of my personality and the type of person I am, the way that I um, interact with other people and, you know, those types of things. Fair like, th- there's qualities about myself that I absolutely love. Fair enough. And thank you for answering that. I know that's a hard question and a hard idea to play with, especially breaking it out into percentages. And I, I just wanted you to spitball it. So I appreciate that. Um, you had yeah. closed out the paragraph you sent to us by saying, my heart is broken. I'm exhausted. It feels pointless to start over. How does one start over when the risk of losing it all is so great? Um, particularly after the abusive relationship and, you know, losing your house and, and so forth. What, in what way above all else is your heart broken? What are you feeling right now? I, I really sense you wrestling <laughs> with this. Cry. Okay, well, let it out. There's nothing wrong with that. I encourage that. You know, um, what do you, why do you want to cry right now? What are you, what is it you're feeling? What's going on inside of you that makes you want to cry? Answering that question. Why? Help me understand. <laughs> um, Help me understand. I feel like I'm heartbroken because I pour myself in completely into everything that I do. You know, I, I just give, I give, I give, I give, I give everything that I possibly can to, you know, to the people that I love, to the people that I want to help, the people that I think need help, um, to the, you know, the work that I do, you know, I just, I just, I completely absorb myself in everything that I do. Um, because I, I've always believed, you know, I mean, in, in life, you know, we, we have, two things to show for ourselves. We have our word and we have our work. Mm. And those are the two things that you can use to really define who you are as a person for other people, for other people to see who you are is your word and your work. And so I've always, I give 110% in everything. And it's like, despite everything that I give, I just keep getting shit on (laughs) over and over and over again. And it's like, why <laughs> doesn't it's it's not fair yeah it's, it's not, i feel like it's just not fair it's not fair and samantha i want to go further into this but right now let's take a quick break i'll be right back with more badass counseling my wife pushed me to watch this guy's tiktok videos so i finally caved in and holy crap blew me away i started watching more and every time time he opens his mouth i get blown away in a whole new way so i finally bought his book there's a hole in my love cup. To say I got an ass kicking is an understatement. Much needed. It was like having my own personal tough therapist who just gets it. So go do yourself a favor. 
Get There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It's powerful stuff. What's the badass got next? And we are back with Samantha. Samantha, you said your heart is broken and you started to feel tears welling up and you said, I want to cry. And uh, then it sounds like a lot of those got sort of, a lot of those tears uh, and the crying that you wanted to do sort of got choked back down, uh, put back down and so forth. Is, is, is that accurate in what I heard or is that, uh, am I off the mark on that one? That's accurate. And would that sort of be the theme of your life? That the feelings as they come up, I mean, you had mentioned earlier, I try not to think about childhood. You know, there's a lot of damage and, and understandable. You haven't want to you know, think about childhood. Has, has the, one of the themes of your life been that when you feel these powerful feelings and the tears and anything else, that very often you'll uh, stuff it back down? Yeah. And just so we're, I'm clear, what's the reason you do that? I know probably from, from growing up, um, showing emotion wasn't very, wasn't very received in my house, in my house. Um, what were you told if you showed emotion? A lot of suck it up. Suck it up. A whole lot of suck it up. And it sounds like Um, you've been sucking it up your entire life, right? Yeah. And you had said then, my heart is broken, I'm exhausted, and it feels pointless to start over. How does one start over when the risk of losing it all again is so great? The pointless part of starting over is that you believe, based on experience, that in all likelihood, or there's a high probability that it'll all, I'll lose it all again. Is that basically what I hear you saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. The mere fact that you ask yourself the question and you pose it in, in the paragraph that you sent us, how does one start over implies that you think about it, which implies at least some part of you wants a new start. Is that accurate or inaccurate? That's accurate. And that's fair. That's fair. And that's, that's a desire to live. That's a desire to find that happiness and so forth. I want, I want to go back to a couple of things. When you were talking about your heart is broken, you had said, you know, I pour my heart into everything. I pour my heart into everyone. And you are your word and your work and, you know, for other people to see who you are. What I hear in that, Samantha, is that so much of your life has been giving, giving, giving to others. And that I have to believe that the hope in all of that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the hope is that if I give a lot to you, then you'll give something back to me. Then you'll love me. Is that pretty close? Yeah. I, I, I hear you sort yeah. of laughing or smiling. What? Talk to me. I, I had that thought. I had that thought just the other day. Like, do I just give because I hope that somebody's going to give something back? Yeah. And what was your yeah. what was your answer yeah. to yourself when you had that thought? Um, I, I kind of just stifled it and and moved on to something else sure. and didn't think about Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let me ask you: Where? What was it that got you any sort of positivity or love or? at least a cessation, a stopping of the abuse and the negativity. Was there anything in your childhood that would get you any sort of, any sort of love whatsoever? Playing music. Hmm. I was, a, I was a band geek. I was a band geek. Um, and surprise, surprisingly enough, um, that's the one area where my parents always praised me and they always supported me and were always there for me was band concerts and making sure I always had, I, I played the clarinet, um, making sure I always had, you know, reeds and, and clean your, or, um, you know, good pads on, on the keys. And they all, they were always very supportive of that. For maybe that's why I love music as much as I do. Yeah. It's equated with one of the few positive things in your entire life, certainly in your entire childhood and so forth. Um, but otherwise, you did not get love. I mean, you really had to think about that question. Were you told that you were loved? I honestly don't remember. Yeah, and clearly, I mean, the mere fact that you have to think about it seems to imply that even if you were, clearly it was rare. And you said, I honestly don't remember. So then let me ask, what's the first memory you have of being told that you were loved? I think it was after I moved away gotcha. from home. Um, right after I got not right after, but a few months after I graduated high school, I moved away from home. Um, cause I just, I couldn't live there anymore. Sure. And I didn't 
like talk to them for at least a month after I left. Mm-hmm. Um, they had they, they didn't know where I was. They didn't know other than the information that my brother was able to give them for based on the few things that he knew. Um, I just I just up and left. Sure. Well, and then when I finally reached out to them, that was. I mean, that's honestly the first time that I can recall them really expressing care and love for me. Uh, do you have a relationship with your parents today and with your brother today? Yes. Not with my brother, just with my parents. And when did the relationship with your brother uh, end? Com- when did it completely end? It's been about two years now is when I pretty much told him I was done. And the main reason, if you were to sum it up in one sentence or less, that you told him that you were done is what? Uh, what he did to my parents. And very briefly, what did he do to your parents that caused you to walk away from him? He was being verbally abusive. Um, He was physically abusive with my father a few times. Um, He would make threats to them, um, some some very severe threats. He's been diagnosed uh, bipolar and has serious um, drug issues. He's been through rehab several times. Uh, but he, it, w- it was that incident. My parents actually ended up having to get a restraining order against him to get him out of the house. Uh, what is the reason that you have a relationship with your parents? I know that may sound like a dumb question, but what's why do you still have a relationship with your parents? Because they're my parents. We have talked about the things that happened in my childhood. A lot of it, we've talked about a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, they have... They have shown and admitted remorse, um, you know, said that they should have handled things better, that they should have been better parents. And how did that feel? It was actually a relief. It was, it was a bit of a, it was a relief. And do you feel like they fully owned it? I feel like my dad definitely has. My mom still struggles sometimes, but I, I don't know if it's because of her. My mom has a lot of health issues and so her mental state isn't always, always reliable. So I don't know if it's because of that, that she can't like fully accept things. But with my dad, he definitely has, and he's said it to me so, so many times, so many times. Said what? Just that that he's sorry and that he should have done better. And he'll even say things like, he actually said to my mom one time, he's like, you know, um, because my mom was trying to talk, trying to, in in a way, this was just recently within the last couple of months, um, my mom was saying something about my brother and she was kind of having one of her, her lapses where she kind of goes back several years mm-hmm. and she thinks that it's, you know, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, she was saying something about my brother and my dad just almost went off on her and was just like, no, he's like, we, we, we screwed up. It's like, we gave that boy everything and look what he's done to us. When we took Sam and we treated her like shit, you know, we, we, you know, beat her. We didn't give her anything. We gave him everything, gave him all these opportunities and did nothing for her. And she's the one that's actually stood by us and tried to take care of us and tried to be there for us. He's like, we screwed up. And that, that is a nice thing to hear from your father. And I want you to be honest. Uh, I'd asked you earlier, did you hate yourself? And you had, it was clear that was an epiphany for you when you said, I did hate myself. I did. Do you hate yourself presently? And if so, what percentage? I know we've sort of talked about this, but I I want clarity on that. I don't think I hate myself at all at this point. Um, There's attributes I don't like, but not hate. Do you hate your parents? No. Did you ever hate your parents? Yes. When? Most of my childhood. It probably wasn't until um, I was pregnant with my youngest or with my oldest. I mean, I'm sorry, with my oldest, that it kind of morphed from hatred into just a kind of dislike, but hatred for the things that they did. How much of your uh, maintaining a relationship with your parents today, you said, well, it's my parents, implying a sense of obligation. How much of your relationship with your parents today is because you are still wanting to get something from them? Perhaps the approval you never got, perhaps the more apologies. Is it possible that that love that you never got as a child or something else is keeping you around? Are you still in relationship because you're still wanting something from them? Because I have to be very, very honest with you. I hate your parents. What the fuck they did to a child? No, seriously. You did this to a fucking child. Yes, two children. No doubt about it. But 
I'm not in conversation here with your brother. I'm in conversation with you and you clearly got an absolutely horrific childhood. They didn't protect you from your brother. You were being choked literally to death at one year old and it's somehow the family fucking joke. You have been told that you were the fat kid, made to feel worthless and lesser by your brother, felt unwanted, unwelcome, and and the physical abuse and the messages that accompanied all of it and the emotional abuse. I hate them. I'm gonna be really honest with you. I have no idea what sort of people they are right now. I don't care. I feel enormous hatred for what they did to a child, two-year-old, four-year-old, eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 16-year-old, child. Child abuse doesn't sit well with me. Right. And and let me ask you, if you encountered in your day-to-day life, if you encountered a situation where you sensed someone else, uh, a child, a young girl, seven, nine, was you sense something was really up and she just happened to one day open up to you and tell you everything. How would you feel towards her parents if you were to be totally honest? If it was anything like what I've been through, I'd want to kill him. There you go. <laughs> right. And see what happens so often yeah. when we watch the movie of our own life, the very movie you've not wanted to watch of your childhood, the very movie you've done everything to avoid thinking about. Very often when we watch or when we think about our childhood, we look at the parents and we say, well, you know, gosh, I understand, or I don't want to think about that, or I'm sure they meant well, or, or we're still so wanting the approval we never got, or we're so wanting them to stop disapproving that we're willing to overlook the real shit. What we're really willing to overlook is looking back at the child in the movie. See, every single one of us listening to this uh, story that you've told us today, this horrific story of your life, and we haven't even touched on the abusive relationship in your adulthood. Every single one of us looking back at the story of your life is watching that child, the abject fear of her own house. You were not safe in your own house. Among your own family, you were a scared, terrified girl being treated with contempt, being treated with hatred. Every single form of abuse was foisted onto you. You were a prisoner in your own home. I'm sorry. I'm looking at that and I all I feel is, is sheer love for that child and wanting to protect that child. And I feel hatred for the people that did this to you. And what you're going to have to do to get out of this very depression, to get out of this heartbroken state, to get out of this feeling like life's not worth living, to to get to the point where you have a will to exist and you have an actual desire to start over where you're not just forcing it, is that all of that has to come out. It has to begin to come out. And I know the mere thought of that is so profoundly overwhelming, which is why you've been trying not to think about it your entire life. But even you acknowledge that in the last few years, gee, I realize I need to look at that. I need to get that out. Did I hear you correctly on that uh, a little while ago? Mm -hmm. Right, right. The depression, basically the pain of an entire life, including adult relationships, is weighing you down from the inside. And what that means is beginning to go back and look at those memories and allow the feelings out. Because the truth is, as you yourself said, that five-year-old, that eight-year-old, that 11-year-old, it wasn't safe for her to have her feelings. And so that little girl, she took all of those feelings and she put them in the night depository slot at the bank of her inner life. And they are full in that vault. That vault is full of so much pain, so much sadness, so much fear, so much frustration, so much disappointment, so much feeling hatred. If you, you even said, I did hate myself and you may have changed that now, but back in that vault are still the feelings of that little girl. And that little girl is coming to you at age 39 and is handing you one thing. It's the key to that vault. And she's saying, please, please, please open the vault and let it all out. I wasn't strong enough. I was so afraid. She's saying, please. And the really hard truth in all of this is that unless you let it out, 
you are fundamentally confirming the very messages that were given to that little girl back when she was a child. You are now confirmed. And I know you're scared of that childhood. I know you're scared of all those feelings. But to honor that child means that now at 39, I have an obligation because no one ever gave that seven-year-old, that five-year-old, that 14-year-old a voice. And she's coming to you saying, you're stronger than I was. Please give voice to our feelings. Let us matter for once in our lives. You've been giving so much of your life energy to everyone else, hoping they would give you a little bit of love in return. In my book, I talk about a relationship camel who can go a long distance through the desert of a shitty relationship if I just get a little bit of love in in the hump on my back. Just give me a little bit of love and I can go a long distance. I'll give you everything. Just give me a little bit. You said, I give everything. I give everything. I pour my heart into it. I give everything into everything I do. And I admire that about you. I really do. But there's none that you're giving to yourself. You're basically trying to buy it from someone else. If I give you tons of love, just give me a little ounce in return. And I can go a long distance because it would feel so good to even have an ounce because you didn't get an ounce. Except for around music, you didn't get an ounce growing up. You weren't even told that you were loved and you certainly were not treated with love. So you have a heart longing to be loved. And I'm telling you, it is time. It is time for you to love on you. And the way we love on ourselves... The way we begin to say, I matter, fuck it, I matter, is that you commit yourself to your own feelings and the power of your own feelings, that my feelings matter, and I am going to stand up, and I am going to begin to flush out all the shit that was put inside me. Because the truth is, no child comes out of the womb hating themselves. No child comes out of the womb bad. That means somewhere between the womb and when you were 10, and when you were 20, and now when you're 39, you were taught that you're worthless. You were taught that you're no good. You were taught to hate yourself, that it was not. It never was your natural state. I have news for you, Samantha. There was, in your natural state, there wasn't a damn thing wrong with you, ever. You were taught to believe there was. There never was. You were taught, conditioned by these people, these parents who were alcoholics and a brother who was horrific and allowed to be out of control and to hurt you in pretty much every way imaginable. And your parents hurt you in almost every single way imaginable or certainly a hell of a lot of them. You were taught to hate yourself. And deep down, there is still hate. I'd be willing to bet there is hate in quite a few directions. That has to come out. The pain has to come out. Does does any of this resonate or it doesn't quite feel right to you? It resonates a lot. I don't know that you could have a higher priority in your life right now. I mean, I understand food on the table, roof over your head. I, I get that. And you have children that you are responsible to and responsible for. 100%. I get that. And I have no doubt that you are a terrific mom to your children. I don't doubt that for even two fucking seconds. But you're not, what I hear you saying when you use words like the will to exist and it's pointless to start over and I'm heartbroken and I'm exhausted. This is someone at the end of her rope or damn close. You have to prioritize yourself. You have to. You have to prioritize your healing. You need to be in counseling and you need to begin journaling and and addressing. And even if it's in little micro-dosed bites, You have to begin to let out some of the pain, even if it's just the pain from yesterday or the pain from a month ago or last year. You can start there. But it has to begin to come out. And the reason is because your love cup is full, chock full to the brim or damn close to the brim with so much shit from your past. There's not even any room for love. And it has to come out. And the more you do that the more your own natural energy, the more your own sense of aliveness, the more your own desire to live and to thrive will increase. Does that make any sense? What do you think about, what do you feel when I talk like this, when I say these things? If you were to be totally honest, is it there's no way I can do it, I have no desire to do that, or that's too scary, or what is it you're thinking and feeling if you were to be totally honest? Overwhelmed. 
What's the most overwhelming part? That it sounds like every that is everything that I need to do to to find my way again. I understand that it would be. That makes total sense. But I just want you to be specific. Tell me, why is that overwhelming? What are you feeling? Is it, it seems like too much or it would destroy me if I felt like that? I'd, I'd blow up if I felt all those feelings. What is it that is overwhelming in all of this? Part of, yeah, the, the idea of really digging into those feelings and really like, you know, picking them apart. There's, there's so much there. Like, can, can I really actually pick all that apart? Because there is so much. There is, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I can understand why you would feel overwhelmed by that. And I'm going to tell you for absolute fact that there are a whole lot of people that go into their pain, similar pain, some almost identical. I've worked with many and there are therapists out there that do great work. There are groups, there are support groups, which maybe you start there if you can't find a therapist, but this needs to be deliberate. But you can heal. You can bit by bit, begin to get this out and to purge that love cup of all the pain and all the crud that is in there. You absolutely can. You absolutely can begin to more and more have new life as you do this. I am telling you for fact, it is doable. Fact. And there are people that specialize in in this very stuff. And you can be doing it on your own as well. But I need you to know that this is very, very doable and you need to do it and not just for yourself, but you need to do it for your children too so that you're modeling for them because they're watching you and they're listening and your self-talk messages and how you live, they see it, they sense it. And so to model to them that I want joy again, and that it's okay to love on yourself. I guarantee you, you don't, I, I don't even need to ask, but I will. You, I'm guessing you don't want your children to have messages like that inside of them. Some of the messages that you've been taught about yourself and that potentially are still in there. I'm guessing you don't want them to have any such messages inside of them. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, I, I would hate for them to live like that. Right. And the biggest and the biggest chance you have, the biggest way that you can ensure that those messages don't get passed on to your children is that you begin, even if it's in small doses, you begin to heal yourself more and more. Let me ask you, have you ever shared that much of your story with anyone? No. What did it feel like? How did you feel today? I feel a little bit lighter, actually. Really? Like like as of right now, I just feel like like I've, I've, I mean, there's still some things that I, I haven't talked about that are still, mm. but to be able to just, to just speak it, to put it out there in the, in the cosmos and it's been said, and I feel like it's, it's that first step in the right direction. I would agree with you. That makes total sense that you say that. And isn't it interesting, Samantha, that you say that, that to put it out there in the cosmos, I feel a little lighter. You know, first you had said lighter, then you said just to put it out there, put it in the cosmos. If we put those together, that when I put it out there, when I get it out there versus in here, when I take it from in here and put it out there, I feel lighter, right? But you got something out of there and you are experiencing a physical reaction. Isn't that interesting? That mere conversation, right? That mere conversation, that merely talking about, and, and writing has the same effect, but merely talking about those things makes me feel lighter. But do you understand how this really is of utmost highest priority? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize quite so much until today. And what and caused then, you to realize it today? I mean, you had gone for counseling before. What made you realize it today? So there was this moment I had, uh, it's, it's been probably 10 years now, but like, I didn't, I never realized that my childhood was like really that abusive mm. until one time I was talking with coworkers and I explained, I'd explained the thing about my, my mom knocking our heads together. Mm-hmm. And my coworkers looked at me like, what? She, your, your mom did what? And like, it was, it was like an absurd notion that something like that would happen. And it's like, well, didn't that happen in every household? Wow. <laughs> and 
and you know so like some of the things that you've said in in regards to everything it's just like it's kind of eye-opening like realizing like how much there really is there that needs to be needs to be dealt with do you journal maybe you already do I, I don't journal. I used to, um, many years ago, I used to write poetry. Mm, that was my, yes, that was my form, kind yes, of my form of yes, journaling. Yes. Okay. Well, Samantha, I want to thank you on behalf of our entire listening audience. I want to thank you so much for your courage in talking about these things and trusting us with your story and all that's wrapped up in it. And, and I am so grateful that you decided to come onto our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate it very much too. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in and hearing Samantha's story. And I know we're all sending love to Samantha uh, on this day. Thank you. And we invite you to tune back in on Sundays for lightning rounds and on Thursdays for other counseling episodes. On behalf of Rob, and KC in studio. I'm Sven Erlinson. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Have a kick-ass day.